0: Podcastle, episode 239, for December 18th, 2012. Catching the Spirit, by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt. Rated R, contains a little bit of drug use in some adult situations. Bah humbug. Hello and welcome back to Podcastle. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, a festive Hogswatch night. Enjoy one, none, or all three. The price is the same. And this week, we've got our special holiday story, Catching the Spirit, by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt. Yes, it is a PodCastle original. We're very happy to have Heather and Tim back. This is the third holiday story that we featured of theirs at PodCastle, and the second of which is an original, what I appreciate about all three of these stories is how different they are from each other. The Christmas Mummy is my daughter's favorite, fun for the whole family. The Ghost of Christmas Possible is a spooky fun story that plays with everyone's favorite Christmas carol, like William Hope Hodgson might have. And this year, we have a story for those of us who feel like the joy of the season has been lost. Do you ever feel like people are way more interested in what they get for Christmas? Instead of what they can give, it is better to give than receive, isn't it? So why do so many people seem hung up only on the receiving bit of it? Well, this year, gift-giving is going viral. Catching the Spirit will be read for you this week by Big Anklevich of the Dune Steve Audio Fiction Magazine. Two years ago, we asked his partner in crime, Rish Outfield, to read The Christmas Mummy for us. And Big's been chomping at the bit ever since to even up the score. Well, here's his chance. On a serious note, a huge thanks to him for turning this one around so quickly for us, and to Rish, who helped edit it together. Now, I'm so glad you guys aren't all infected. Enjoy the story.
1: Catching the Spirit by Heather Shaw and Tim Pratt Pretty much nobody knows how, exactly, the Christmas spirit started to spread. One theory goes that a child in Meridian, Mississippi was bitten by an infected reindeer and then spread the plague at her school Christmas pageant, where it jumped to a couple of long-haul truckers who hit the interstate on Boxing Day and took the condition nationwide. One epidemiologist is convinced it's a prion disease like mad cow spread through contaminated Christmas hams. I saw a neurologist on TV who believes it's a brain disorder brought on by heavy metal poisoning spread through tainted high-fructose corn syrup in the candy cane supply. And I met a man in a bar who drunkenly explained that it's caused by an insidious parasite that lives in evergreen trees. And, of course, we've all heard the right-wing pundits screaming their conviction that the Christmas spirit is a biological weapon invented by radical Kenyan socialists to force redistribution of wealth. They're all wrong. I know the truth about the Christmas spirit and how it started to spread. In a way, I'm the reason for the season. What everyone does know is that people infected with the spirit first showed symptoms three years ago on Christmas Day. That the condition is latent and asymptomatic for about 11 months of the year. That last year, infected individuals began to present wildly uncharacteristic behavior around the beginning of Advent and continued that behavior unless forcibly restrained until January 5th, also known as Twelfth Night. And that civilization nearly collapsed during last year's outbreak, or so serious people with serious haircuts on the morning talk shows say. Tomorrow is the fourth Sunday before Christmas, the beginning of Advent, the world or at least that fraction of the world that celebrates Christmas, is waiting to see if things are going to fall apart again this year. Only worse. And I sit here in my remote shack on the shores of a nameless pond in Minnesota, an antisocial hermit by choice. I'm the only person who can possibly stop the plague from wreaking havoc for another year, if I want to. If I think the world deserves my help... Ho, ho, hum. I've been keeping track of the outbreaks, watching how people react in all sorts of ways, both naughty and nice. Mostly naughty, of course. I know I've got my list somewhere, and as the Christmas season approaches, it's time to review. Let's see. Sarah didn't realize her boss, Max, had caught the Christmas spirit when he appeared at her door, though her heart sank all the same. She'd had to invite him, of course. She was inviting all her co-workers. But she'd never in a million years believed the rich, self-absorbed jerk would actually drive his gleaming Tesla Roadster to her apartment complex. Her holiday party was raging behind her, people downing eggnog in epic quantities and singing drunkenly along with Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. She opened the door with a smile, expecting friends, and managed to keep it plastered to her face when it turned out to be her boss. His grin was a little wide and there was a manic gleam in his eyes, but everyone knew he did a lot of cocaine, so she didn't make much of it. It wasn't until he thrust a gift into her hands that Sarah looked down and realized what was happening. The gift was wrapped in shreds of newspaper, tied with an improvised bow made from a $1,000 silk necktie. He clasped her hands, skin to skin. She was doomed. Max didn't give gifts. Last year, their Christmas bonuses had consisted of free coffee coupons from one of the chains Max owned. The only way he'd show any generosity was if the Christmas spirit compelled him. Sarah screamed and dropped the gift. It was heavy, probably some expensive piece of electronic equipment from Max's living room. But it was too late. He waded into the room, swinging a sack over his shoulder, shouting, Merry Christmas! Partygoers who'd barely noticed Sarah's shriek looked around at his bellow, and that's when the panic set in. There'd been a few isolated incidents of the Christmas spirit the year before, but this year it was more widespread. If all the tweets and video clips showing up online could be believed. Max staggered through the room, thrusting gifts wrapped in dish towels, tablecloths, and button-down shirts at his employees and their friends, ho ho -ho hoing all the while. Sarah tore off her own dress and used it to improvise wrapping paper for her faux Tiffany lamp, shouting, "'Merry Christmas!' and shoving the gift at her unemployed friend, Bethany, who screamed and fell down. Sarah dropped the lamp beside her and looked around the room wildly. She had so many things, so many objects, and that was all wrong. She needed to give and give and spread love and joy and peace on earth and every last piece of her earthly possessions. Everybody tried to get away at once. There was a bottleneck at the back door, and the increasing numbers of the infected began shoving their wallets, eyeglasses, novelty reindeer antlers, and smartphones towards those escaping in a frenzy of generosity, all working furious, unconscious calculations about who in the room was less fortunate and more deserving. Max was the richest, most successful man in the room, so he could give gifts to everyone. But what about Rodney, Sarah's strung-out, halfway-homeless friend, invited only out of pity because he'd fallen so far? He jumped out a window, glass-shattering, and ran off into the darkness in search of someone even more wretched than himself, who might appreciate the gift of all his meager things. Those who escaped out the back door found themselves penned in by the tall fence surrounding Sarah's miniature courtyard. And, though a few scrambled over the fence and got away clean... Most were infected, and they began knocking on doors spreading the Christmas spirit throughout the apartment complex. By the next day, fully a third of Atlanta was infected, including the managers and employers of several major retail stores, and the rest of the city was barricaded in their homes. Depressing, isn't it? That Max deserves nothing but coal in his stocking. After he recovered, In the new year, he did his best to get back everything he'd given away, going so far as to threaten legal action against his own employees, and this year he plans to wait out the season on his private island. Not that I should judge him too harshly. I've gone into town once or twice, but mostly I stay here alone, watching the water, listening to the wood crackle in the stove, drinking hot cocoa and eating slices of fruitcake, thinking about human nature and the true meaning of Christmas. Now, there are as many true meanings of Christmas as there are snowflakes at the North Pole, but the best of them revolve around giving. Giving from the heart. Giving to those less fortunate. Giving your life to make a better life for others. But more and more, it seems to be about taking and selfishness and an utter lack of gratitude. About things and profit margins and one-upmanship and scoring points. People are trampled in Black Friday stampedes, and corporations tout their holiday sales numbers without sharing their wealth with charity. I don't spend much time interacting with people. In my job, I mostly work while ordinary people are sleeping, but that doesn't mean I don't watch and pay attention. And more and more, I don't like what I see. Here's something else I saw. Leif was excited to be invited to Xavier's house for the birthday party. He'd heard stories about what the place was like, a palace, a mansion, a castle. Xavier's parents sent him to public school, even though they could totally have afforded to send him to private school at Bentley or Head Royce. Xavier said it was because of politics or something. His dad had some job or was trying to get some job where it would look bad if his kids didn't go to public school with everybody else in the district. Leif's mom was acting weird about buying Xavier a gift, muttering about how he probably got everything he wanted before he even knew he wanted it. So Leif finally picked out a couple of Yu-Gi-Oh! cards from his own collection, ones he knew Xavier didn't have, and said, "'We can give him these.'" "'Oh, honey, no. We can't give Xavier used cards.'" "'But he doesn't have these yet, and I have extra. He'll like them, I promise.'" Leif's mom bought Xavier some hardcover book. Leif almost never got new books. But she tucked the cards in the pages. The house wasn't a castle. But it sure was big, with a yard that was more like a park. And Leif couldn't believe only three people lived there. He and his mom started toward the front steps. But a guy in a suit like church stopped them. I'm sorry, but I have to ask you to go into a short quarantine. Just routine, for health reasons. He showed them into the garage, which was about as big as Leif's whole house, and totally clean and empty. Just plain concrete. Some other kids from school were there, and their parents all holding wrapped presents. So Leif went over to some kids he knew while the parents sort of halfway laughed with each other, but in a fake way. Hey Leif, I think those are cameras in the corners. Leif looked where Raj was pointing, and sure enough... Little black cameras high up in the corner stared back at them. A guy shuffled in from another door, dressed in old rags, neck and hands dirty with grime, beard all tangled and untrimmed, sniffling like he had a bad cold, rubbing his nose with the back of his hand. He looked even worse than the homeless guys Leif saw hiding their sleeping bags under the bushes at the park, like he didn't even have a sleeping bag or a bush to call his own. Everyone stared at him. He stared back. After a while, he sighed and trudged back out again. "'That's effed up,' one of the dads muttered. After the guy was gone, the door to the house opened and a woman in a maid's costume said, "'Do come in!' and gestured. Everyone followed her down a hall with windows, and the house was just as nice inside as out. The walls were made of paneled wood, all shiny and in different colors, Black, blonde, red, purple, brown, tiger-striped. Sometimes they were done in wooden tiled patterns along the wall, where normally people would hang art. Leif thought the pictures were supposed to tell some sort of story, but they walked past too fast for him to tell. The party was in a large room with a pool table, a bar with stools, a TV as big as a mattress standing on its side, and lots of soft looking beanbag chairs and couches. Balloons floated against the ceiling, so tightly packed their ribbons made a colorful forest everyone had to push their way through. Guys in suits were hanging out near the windows. People who worked for Xavier's dad, Leif guessed. They looked like bodyguards from TV. Xavier sat in a purple velvet chair with a high back like a throne. He even wore a crown that looked like real gold and jewels. He looked relieved to see everyone and hurried down from his chair. I'm so glad you guys aren't infected. It took Leif a second to realize they'd been put in the garage with that sorry-looking guy to make sure they weren't infected with the Christmas spirit plague. Xavier's family was super rich. Leif could see why Xavier's parents were nervous. Everyone else in the class was poorer than they were. If he caught the spirit, he'd empty out the whole place giving to less fortunate, which was pretty much everyone else in the room. But he's still got to have his birthday party. A magician put on a pretty good show. Then a clown came out and juggled while Leif and others sang happy birthday, had fancy cupcakes with the Batman symbol and yellow frosting on top. They were hecka good. Leif had three. They played some games, and then it was time to open presents. Xavier had to sit way back up on his purple chair to open them, while Leif and the other kids sat on a rug at his feet. The parents all stood around, looking twitchy and nervous while the kids passed their presents to Xavier. Most of the gifts were pretty lame. Coloring books and crayons and a few dollar store cheap plastic crap toys. Xavier was pretty nice about it all, though. When he opened Leif's present... He gave the same smile for the hardcover book as he had for the coloring books. He was about to put the book down when Leif said, Check out the bookmarks! Xavier flipped it open and found the cards. He grinned real big like he did on pizza day at school. Oh, sweet! He came down and hugged Leif right in front of everybody, which was a little weird, but Leif was stoked to see him so happy. Xavier's mom went on to give him her gifts, and he got really awesome handheld games and the kind of Lego sets that come in a box as big as a coffee table, and a sweet new skateboard with wheels that lit up when they spin. Leif couldn't take his eyes off them. Hey, Leif, he said, I'm lousy at skateboarding anyway. You're way better. Take this. He thrust the skateboard out toward Leif, who just stared at him, stunned then gave him a big, goofy grin. For real? Leif said. Xavier, that's awesome! Possible infection, one of the bodyguards shouted, and the next thing Leif knew, the bodyguard was jumping between him and Xavier, swatting the skateboard away. Another scooped up Xavier like he was a football and ran off with him down the hall. The Yu-Gi-Oh! cards dropped out of his hands and landed on the floor like fallen leaves. Xavier looked back at Leif over the guy's shoulder. His mouth a wide-open O of surprise. And then, Xavier's mom was shouting, I'm afraid the party's over! Everyone got shown the way out a lot faster than they'd been shown the way in. God bless us, everyone, Leif's mom said when they got in the car. But when Leif asked her what she meant, she didn't answer. They're not all bad kids, but they're good kids in a bad world, so I don't hold out much hope for them. I'm not sure what I thought would happen. I released the Christmas spirit on a whim, at a desperate low ebb, in the living room of the thousandth house in a row that hadn't even bothered to leave me milk and cookies. I thought, if people felt what I feel, that overwhelming desire to give and give and give, then perhaps the world would be a better place. I dreamed that people would wake up on January 6th after a furious season of giving and think, that felt good. I want to keep giving all year long. But instead, people are terrified at the idea of charity blossoming in their hearts. They would rather lock themselves away. Governments instituted curfews and warned against chaos and looting, which is absurd, The spirit is the opposite of looting. It's an impulse to give the things you own and don't need to those who might love them. If everyone gives, then everyone benefits. No one goes without, and those who have the most to offer are the ones who offer the most. It all makes sense to me, but apparently I'm the only one. I have a little TV, and last night I watched an economist explain how the Christmas spirit continued to spread and could bring about the downfall of capitalism, and everyone on the program was very solemn. But I thought, so? Would that be so bad? Perhaps releasing the spirit was a mistake, though. There were certainly unintended consequences. When I opened my heart and let the Christmas spirit fly free out into the world, It left me with an empty, hollow place inside. I gave all the giving I had, and I have no impulse to give at all anymore. Not to give gifts, or to give a helping hand, or to give a moment's time, or to give a damn about so much of anything at all. When I unleashed the spirit in that dark suburban living room two Christmas eves ago by the light of a twinkling tree, I was freed from my own nature and I didn't even finish my long night's work, but abandoned it, half done, and felt not a qualm. I felt so dizzy and confused by the loss of the spirit that I decided I should go to live among people again, and hope that the spark of humanity would be rekindled in my chest. I wandered the streets in that first January, and encountered only mockery and sullenness and fear and mistrust, And it was not long before i retreated to this cabin where i could be alone with my thoughts and brood over my lists the naughty side growing ever longer than the nice this will be the second year in a row that i haven't done my all-night ride i don't miss it much at all i'm looking forward to going to bed early this year i could call the spirit back to me spare the world from what they call a plague but why should i It's easier to live this way. Colder, too, but I'm accustomed to the cold. Wait. Someone's at my door. Once, my first thought would have been to expect Christmas carolers. Now I find it easier to imagine those driven toward darker pastimes by inclination or desperation. Like these. Joanne didn't worry about giving the Christmas spirit couldn't be any worse than crabs and it was probably a hell of a lot better than hep c she didn't have anything to give away anyway except what derek let her have and that was just some worn out old clothes and a place to sleep most nights if she earned enough to make him happy the guy who infected her pulled up to her corner leaned out of his car window and pushed his wallet into her hands she never had a guy do that before give her the whole wallet Sometimes you'd get a new guy who'd flash a 20, thinking he was all subtle. But this was weird, especially since the wallet had a little red ribbon tied around it like some kind of a gift. She reached out and caressed his arm after glancing down at the wallet to see a thick row of folded green nestled inside. Why, that's awful generous, baby. You can buy yourself a whole lot of Christmas cheer with that. Ho, 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 the John shouted and drove off screeching to a stop in front of some other working girls. He started handing stuff out the windows to them, things like golf clubs and cell phones and even his shoes, all wrapped up haphazardly with ribbon. Joanne swayed a little on her feet, then wandered into an alley. She took a red elastic band out of her hair, she was doing the schoolgirl double ponytail thing, and wound it around the little baggie of rock she had in her pocket. Best she could do for a ribbon, for now. She nudged a sleeping form wrapped in an old blanket with her foot. Hey, wake up, Mags. The old woman grumbled and half sat up. What the... Then Joanne thrust the baggie into her hands, and the woman stared at it, then looked up at Joanne and grinned, then frowned. Oh, hell, she said, and went lurching down the alley, dragging her blanket with her, no doubt looking for someone without even a blanket to call their own. Joanne emptied out the wallet one bill at a time, folding them into little shapes first, stars and angels and doves, and then giving them away to the runaways, the street kids, the people who didn't have any shelter at all except what they found inside a bottle. She dropped her spiked heels beside a sleeping man in a doorway and forced her clothes on another working girl, and for a moment stood bare in the glow of the streetlights, wondering what to do next. Her mama, on those rare occasions when she was sober, had always told Joanne she had a beautiful singing voice. Naked, carrying nothing and owning only her voice, Joanne walked down the strip untouched, a joyous smile stretching across her face as she gave the one gift she had left, her songs. She made it through Jingle Bells and God Rest you Merry Gentlemen and was partway through "O Little Town of Bethlehem when the cops hit her with a taser and dragged her off to the hospital. I opened the door and there were three children from town with their mother hovering by an idling station wagon in the background. It's cold around here, I suppose. Nothing like the North Pole, but near enough and the children were bundled in so many layers of coats and scarves they seemed like oversized stuffed animals. Merry Christmas, the youngest shouted, and the oldest thrust a paper bag toward me. I raised one of my eyebrows. They are as bushy and full as ever, unlike my long beard which I shaved off. What's this? I asked. We're going around giving food to the old folks, the youngest said. Her elder brother had the good sense to wince. Um, not that you're old, he said, just for people who live alone way out by themselves. We wanted to make sure they had plenty to eat this year, and if you want, there's going to be a big Christmas Eve dinner at the Lutheran church in town for anybody who wants to come. Christmas Eve, I said. Aren't you afraid of catching the Christmas spirit? The children exchanged glances. The oldest said, Mom told us we should always be so generous that no one could even tell if we had the Christmas spirit or not, so I guess we're not too worried about it. I thank you. That was all I could manage. I took the offered bag, heavy with canned goods, and offered the closest approximation of my old smile. The kids waved at me happily and tromped through the snow back to their waiting mother. There had been no sense that they were performing a chore. None of the mania that comes with possession by the Spirit. And it was too early in the season for that anyway. Just a simple act of giving, and a willingness to gather together even on Christmas Eve, despite the danger of being seized by the Spirit. Of course, I knew charity had never departed the world entirely. I still have my nice list, though I've looked at it less often these past two years, and my attention caught more by the naughty ones. But somehow, having that charity arrive on my doorstep and touch me directly opened a closed door and rekindled a cold fire and brought blossoms from a frozen earth. And I felt the Christmas spirit swelling within me again. So, what if people had disappointed me? That was no reason to stop trying, was it? I went to the closet and looked at my old suit, the red fur trimmed in white. I touched my cheeks, scraped bare by a razor just the day before, and felt the fullness of my beard flowing in. My laughter, which had been so bitter and thin, boomed out of me like thunder, and I dressed myself quickly and raced out through the backyard to the little barn. I hauled open the door, and my sleigh gleamed in the shafts of moonlight. I took off one of my gloves, stuck bare fingers in my mouth, and whistled as loud and hard as I could. At first, I worried that it had been too long, and that they had gone feral, but after a few moments I heard the jingle of harness bells, and my miniature reindeer approached from the woods. Their fur coats tangled with burrs, their heads lowered, antlers seeming larger and sharper. But they lined up as they had before, and in a few moments I had them joined together, a team again, greater as a whole than they had been on their own. I climbed into my place on the sleigh and gazed up at the moon, three weeks until Christmas, more or less. I had a lot to do and very little time to do it. I opened my arms and called the Christmas spirit back to me from all the far corners of the world. But, to my surprise, it didn't all return. The spirit had set down roots in some souls, it seemed, finding fertile soil, and there it would remain. Oh, the Christmas spirit didn't remain in all those it had touched, not even half, and the nice certainly didn't outnumber the naughty. But the nice, together were more powerful than all the naughty alone. I cracked the reins and the reindeer began to race across the snow and lifted into the air. The wind streamed all around me, blowing through my beard and the world below fell away. I could sense those touched by the spirit beneath me, burning like a thousand candles, united by their light.
0: And welcome back. We hope you enjoyed it. A couple nights ago, I took my daughter to go caroling with her Girl Scout troop. I honestly can't remember when the last time I went caroling was. Maybe when I was a kid? It's been a while. We walked along the neighborhood streets, and anyone who looked like they were decorated for the holidays and were home, the kids sang for. A few times, their voices wavered, even when they had the words right in front of them, but they never stopped singing, and they never stopped having fun. And what struck me about it this year is how caroling is kind of like the inverse of trick-or-treating. The people in the neighborhood would open up the doors, see the girls belting out Jingle Bell Rock, Frosty the Snowman, or We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Just light up. If there were other people elsewhere in the house, they'd dash away, Drag them back to the door just to hear the singing. It was beautiful, kind of magical, and it was a time where a little bit of joy was shared. So I'd just like to encourage you, whether it's carols or presents or cards or dinner, or hey, telling people a story, I encourage you to go just a little bit out of your way and share some happiness with the people around you. God knows we need it these days. Feedback this week is for Genevieve Valentine's Study for Solo Piano, read by Larice White. The story of a traveling semi-mechanical circus who put up for a time in an abandoned warehouse. This one received a bit of a mixed reaction on our forum. Old Bald Guy said, I had to work pretty hard at figuring out just what the characters were and was kind of grossed out by the hands offered as gloves. On the other hand, so to speak, the musician in me was intrigued with just how this partially collapsed piano would have sounded, and wondered if a John Cage-prepared piano piece or George Heel's Ballet Mechanique would have been a better soundtrack for the story. Talia said, As a musician, I found the story moving. The thought of losing the connection with something I consider an essential part of myself is chilling, and it really made me ache for the protagonist. Thank you very much for those comments. Come on over to forum.escapeartist.net and let us know what you thought of this week's story. Or any of the stories we featured here. And if you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. So we can pay our authors and keep our podcastle running high in the sky. Or, you know, you may want to consider giving some money to charity and joining Radical Kenyan Socialists so you can help redistribute some of the wealth. Speaking of which, it is the holidays, and I do have a special request this year that only you can help me with. Please, 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 if you enjoy listening to Podcastle, tell your friends about us. Mention us on Twitter or Facebook, write a review on iTunes about us, talk to the people around the dinner table, the people that you go see The Hobbit with, tell them about Podcastle. Tell them it's free. And tell them what some of your favorite stories are. Give your loved ones the viral Christmas gift. Uh no. That sounds a little wrong, doesn't it? Uh, you know what I mean. Tell people about us. Help spread the good tidings of Podcastle. Thanks. If you want more holiday goodness, swing on over to Drabblecast, where you can hear another story by Heather and Tim featuring a post-apocalyptic mechanized reindeer. As for us, that was our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Podcastle is made up of antisocial hermit and associate editor Anne Leckie, St. Nicholas's favorite helper, sound producer Peter Wood, and your editors Anna Schwend and myself. Serious people with not-so-serious haircuts. On behalf of all of us, I want to thank you for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week when we go off to see Captain Random with Viler Kafton. Until then, PodCastle would like to remind you, always be so generous that people can't tell whether or not you've caught the Christmas spirit, especially when you're leaving milk and cookies for Santa or PodCastle. We'll find out in a week whether you've been naughty or nice. See you then. PodCastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Charles Dickens said... It is a fair, even-handed, noble adjustment of things, that while there is infection and disease and sorrow, there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Thanks for listening. Have a happy holiday.